good to be here. I'm a real supporter of the idea of the network um, and of the work you do as researchers. Um, and certainly we need it in the National Centre. Um, so a couple of niggles with the slide that was the previous slide. The last time I spoke for an hour, I was a junior lecturer in the London School of Economics uh, 30 years ago, so <laughs> I'm certainly not doing that. Uh, and, um, and also, uh, those of you who want to email me afterwards, it's Doherty with a CH, not Doherty. Um, it's Scottish and Irish. Um, my background, I spent, uh, spent 30 years in media companies. I was on the board of uh, the BBC as their first director of new media. Uh, I then went to a company called Telewest, which is now Virgin Cable, and I was on their management board, <coughs> which is a kind of very sick experience because it was bust. Um, and, uh, and along the way, I've, I've seen business from many different angles. I've chaired startups. Um, I've raised lots of money in the city. I've bought companies and sold them. I've bought companies and, <laughs> and bust them. Um, and uh, those of you who teach entrepreneurship know that one of the key things about teaching in entrepreneurship training is actually companies go bust. And you might be at the helm of them when they do go bust. And how, learning how to cope with all that risk and tension is... Uh, is actually what I think being part of being an entrepreneur is. I was going to think about if I was teaching, how do you teach lying awake at night worrying about making payroll on Monday? You know, that's, that's the kind of the level of risk in trying to teach entrepreneurship and, do, and indeed researching it. I, mean, I always say that when I've been around real entrepreneurs, I mean, I, you know, I've done a lot of daft things in my life and put a lot of my money to work and lost enough of it to, for it to hurt. But real entrepreneurs are the ones who will put everything on black. And I've never been that guy. You know, I've always put on... 21, 24, red, black, and green, you know. The real guys that I've and women that I've hung around with are the ones who understand that level of risk. So I've always been fascinated. So if anyone's interested in doing research on entrepreneurship, I'd love to talk to you about it because I'm just personally very fascinated by it. Um, the reason I'm here today is to talk about the, the new National Centre for University and Business, which came out of Wilson. Um, Tim uh, uh, was actually one of our trustees, and... Um, and we also contributed through the through all the debate as well. Um, is this readable? Yeah. Um, so so Tim said that that the CIHE, which I had been running uh, as the CEO, uh, should be developing structure and infrastructure uh, to become uh, an independent membership body. In effect, with focused on this idea of repository of good practice and commission studies. I said to Tim and to David Willis, like, that's an interesting idea, but it's not. There's a bigger idea lurking in there. You know, we'd like to take it on. We'd like it to be something uh, that engages uh, on, on a bigger uh, field. Uh, and by the time we came back out of, of David's office, it was this uh, idea of focusing on strengthening the strategic partnership between universities and businesses. And I was very keen on that concept of strategic partnerships, long-run, deep uh, relationships rather than short-run, um, uh, you know, in and out relationships. So that's that's kind of what we've been trying to do for the past year and, and indeed we launched the National, the National Centre about a month ago and I'll explain more about that in a sec. Uh, the reason why, again, Tim wanted to build on the CIHE was we'd come across two, th we did two things. One was to develop a methodology and one was the, the, the seniority of the leadership. The CIHE council members and now the leadership council of the National Centre are all pretty much chairs or CEOs or board members of, of roughly FTSE 100 level companies. So it was dealing with um, business at that very top level was an important part of the story for Tim. And, and they're not just names above the, the door, by the way. They, they, they turn up, they contribute, they do stuff. Um, and the second thing was that um, 
and to my personal experience of it, was that the, uh, the university side is the vice chancellors. So I know that you know you think by and large vice chancellors don't do very much, but one of the things they did do was turn up to my meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was senior corporate leaders and big business. And Tim, I think, liked that, but he wanted us to broaden it out, which is what we're trying to do. The second thing is we developed a methodology around task forces, where I took over about four years ago. And the idea of the task force would, would go sector by sector. We'd get uh, a senior uh, business person mm-hmm. from the sector, put them together with the vice chancellor, preferably with experience of that sector. And then we'd recruit in behind, uh, around them, uh, again, senior business leaders and, and senior academics. Uh, we'd produce not just a report, but we'd produce an action plan based on the report. And we'd go out and raise money to do the thing that we said we wanted to do. So it wasn't, here, biz, go and do something. It was, here's something that needs to get done. We'll go off and do it. And I'll explain a couple in a second. These ones, uh, I think, might be of particular interest to some of you in the room. Uh, we, we did a big one on, on research and development, how to get more money, uh, get more value out of uh, the public sector investment. And um, uh, we worked with uh, Alan Hughes at um, Judge Business School. I'm sure some of you will know. <laughs> Although I've never used Alan's full title as the Margaret Thatcher um, uh, Professor of, of Enterprise, <laughs> for reasons which I'm sure you like to understand. Um, and we got actually Alan to do... Um, some detailed uh, 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 research on uh, the R&D landscape, which is situating our uh, uh, spender R&D in a global context. Some fascinating stuff came out of that, which is that, for me anyway, that only 3.5% of R&D is done by small independent companies. Now you can think of where the government's rhetoric currently is that, you know, that unbalances the, 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 the whole focus on SME. <coughs> um, the other thing is we're the most exposed, no, it's the wrong way around well, the most open R&D system in the world, by a, by a mile. You know, that the 38% of R&D in the UK is, comes from subsidiaries of foreign companies. Now, that's a tribute to the openness of our system, but all it takes is one decision at a board, not in the UK, and the money's gone. And in fact, Pfizer's a classic example of how that happened. Pfizer basically just went, it's gone. Uh, so we need to make sure, I and mean, the message out of that was that we need to make sure that the UK is considered by these international boards to be the place that you want to do R&D. You know, that, uh, which we have a fantastic education system, uh, good financial incentives, and so on and so forth. So that, those are the sets of big messages come out of that. We then uh, did one on enhancing impact, which was how, how do you, uh, Alan and his colleagues went through every impact study uh, done really over the past 15, 20 years. And the message we're trying to get across in that was that the treasury model of the pound in equals two pounds out, or in their wishful thinking, 10 pounds out, just doesn't work, you know. So, uh, and the reason why this is important is we, I got all the R&D directors in, in from BP, uh, from Rolls-Royce and from uh, the big pharma companies and said, and said to, to any effective treasury, look, we're used to investing and it going down, but and we're used to all the missteps along the way that, that innovation goes like that, it doesn't go like that. Um, and, and that's actually interesting here, some of that's been played back by biz to us and out to treasury. It's still an interesting struggle and you have to do it. And then finally we did enhancing collaboration um, which was, uh, we interviewed 75 uh, senior executives and academics, sector by sector. So we did pharma, energy, um, construction, and um, what we call CDIT, Creative Digital Technology. <coughs> um, because one of the big big messages coming out of the whole task force is that you can't treat innovation as one thing, you have to go sector by sector. Um, and actually that's playing into obviously the business agenda around um, uh, the industrial strategy because there's about nine, ten industrial sectors that they focus on. 
Um, and obviously the difference between investing in pharma, where it's, they're moving to open innovation systems relative to construction, where they're actually very much at the bottom of the innovation chain, uh, is huge, and, and it needs different forms of, of uh, thinking and policy development. So that was one example of how we did the task force. We had David Eisen, who was a global head of research director at BP, to do it with us. And we got Shirley Pierce, who was then vice chancellor at Loughborough. And, and uh, people like David Sainsbury joined the executive group, as did Hammond Housing, you know, all those kind of great names of people who've actually done it. Um, another way of doing these task forces was this, where <coughs> we would take the report and then we'd, we'd, we'd build on it. So this, uh, these projects here, called Brighton Fuse, London Fuse, came out of a report called, unsurprisingly, The Fuse. Um, and that was uh, the one we did. I mean, the first thing I did when I got to the CIT was to say, let's do something on creative digital industries because it's something I understand. And, and Ron Affair had the, the Financial Times group chaired it with uh, Chris Snowden um, at Surrey. Um, and we came up with a whole group of recommendations. But one of them was, how do you, how do you get um, the creative digital technology companies together with the universities? And we did the Brighton Fuse, which is um, 3,000... Uh, small creative digital companies in Brighton and the two universities and it was funded by the AHRC uh, about a million quid went into it for a two year project which is just coming to close now um, and what was interesting about this project was that uh, I knew the guy who ran the trade association down there a guy called Phil Jones who runs Wired Sussex so with one phone call I could talk to 3,000 companies and that's one of the struggles that we all have, as you, you know, I need hardly tell anyone in this room, is how do you, how do you get to mass with small companies? And it's a theme I'll come back to later on. That spun out the London Fuse project, which was a £5 million project funded by the ERDF, and uh, that will be about 1,000 companies going through uh, four different phases of Spire, Fuse, Create, Grow. Um, and, the, and actually, there are very, those of you who work with ERDF funding, it's bloody tough money to work with and you actually have to build deliverables i.e. you have to create jobs at the end of it mm -hmm. so which is a good thing right because you know it keeps you honest in the, in the sense that you're having to do stuff so that that's that so that's so we produced the report high level thinking went off and, and raised the money to, to implement it the second uh task force we did was on manufacturing and engineering <coughs> um, and that did, we did two things one was to try and look at how uh universities can grow and develop uh, manufacturing companies around them. And we know that historically universities have done that. I mean, around Birmingham, there's lots of railway companies. Around Southampton, there's lots of uh, aircraft companies. <clears throat> but one of the things that kept going back time and time again was actually what they were calling mm -hmm. diversity. We, we don't have a diverse workforce. They kept saying, I said, well, do you mean that you're not good enough at getting women into your companies? Because that's not a diversity issue. That's your problem. <laughs> and, uh, and they said, oh, God, you're right. Um, so we launched Talent uh, 2030, um, and the reason it's Talent 2030 is that the uh, graduates of today will be the hirers by 2030. They'll be in senior middle management roles and middle management roles, so they'll be hiring graduates. And the second thing is that the undergraduates of last year will be the, sorry, the people born last year will be the undergraduate intake in 2030. So 17 years uh, is bugger all in, in the history of education. So Talent 2030 is about raising the aspirations of girls, uh, mainly as it turns out to do physics. When we did all the analysis and we did some original case study, original work ourselves, uh, we, asked, we asked 600 undergraduate women um, why they hadn't done manufacturing and engineering, despite the fact they all had A's in numerical subjects. Um, and this, uh, partly it was, it, was, it was the reputation of the industry, 
uh, um, and they said if it had been nurturing, green and engineering, they might have, and that message had got them young, they might well have changed their minds. The second thing is money. They hadn't realised that engineering was the second highest graduate premium next to medicine and law. <coughs> and then the third thing, actually, <coughs> was they hadn't done physics. So by the time they got to university and wanted to change their minds, they couldn't do it. Um, so we're very focused in on Tom Twitter on getting, uh, getting, raising the aspiration of girls through physics. And we're publishing every year um, a dashboard saying to government, look, only 9% of professional engineers in the UK are women. The European average is 21%. The top end in Europe is 30%. If you want to get to 21%, you need to get a lot more girls doing physics. So every year we're going to keep holding a mirror up to government and saying, if you want to fix this problem, Mr. Gove, um, you need to think about that as much as you think about everything else in your, in your 1950s mind. Um, so uh, NCUB, we never call it NCOP, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> it's the NCUB or the National Centre. Uh, so the vision for it, and, and those of you who have done vision mission statements, they can they can be rubbish. I mean, they can just be kind of brain um, stuff. But I, I I still believe in them. I think that the the, the useful way of, of trying to capture what what it is that you care about. And the word that we really struggled with in here was prosperity. And the reason for that was when we started it, it was about increasing growth. And I kept saying that growth isn't just what we're trying to do here. We're trying to have a society which is that you know. It's relatively at peace with itself, that educates people properly, that uh, uh, invests in, 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 uh, in, invest in, in opportunities and so on and so forth. And we, so we kept coming back and back and back. And, and the word prosperity seemed to be in the end the right word. You know, it, it, a prosperous society is not one that grows at all costs. A prosperous society is, it balances itself. Uh, and actually, you know, I think universities in particular, these big corporates engage with this concept better than just growth. Um, and then well-being... Um, uh, is that sense of you know, where, where the universities sit in, in with businesses in a, in a humanitarian and a humanist, if you want to use the word, uh, society. So that, that's the vision. Uh, the idea is that effective collaboration um, will nurture the right talent. We use the word talent rather than skills because I think talent's a more rounded concept. Um, skills is quite a narrowly defined idea. Uh, innovation and expertise. Now, if you increase the, the quality of your talent, the quality of your innovation and expertise, you will grow a prosperous society. I mean, it, you know, I don't, it's not even a hypothesis. <laughs> um, uh, and if, you, if, we, if we go backwards in all of these things uh, relative to our competitors, not only will we not have a prosperous society, we won't have a society that we won't have an economy that's growing. So, so this, is, this has been signed up to by all the big corporates on our board, um, signed up to by Biz and by um, Hefke and the funding councils. Um, and indeed, on the funding of it, it's coming. The funding is coming from uh, major companies and uh, 33 universities currently, uh, but it's also coming from all the funding councils because uh, I, I, I did want to hold that for a UK-wide organisation um, rather than give in to the current fashion for uh, um, each country going their own way. And it's interesting in the politics of the whole thing that uh, the Scots and the Welsh have come in. And the TSB have come in as well. So we're, we're right across the innovation chain in how we do this. Uh, and what, what we're going to try and do now <coughs> is, uh, is grow the company's level out to drop, as I said to you earlier, it's, it's FTSE 100 level companies and big consultancies currently. Uh, we want to drop into the FTSE 350 and then we, we want to drop out into literally tens of thousands of small companies. Uh, and we've got a plan for, for how we do that. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not even saying we're going to do it. I'm going to say that's our ambition. And the university's level, historically, the CIG was, was uh, an invitation-only 
uh, organisation and we're going to break that up and hopefully we'll engage with every university and indeed um, about five or six vice chancellors will me up saying can we join so uh, that, I think that will grow considerably over, over uh, the next uh, year what are we doing uh, well there's three, three areas of focus um, I want to come on to this brokerage thing because actually when I looked at your list earlier I think you could really help us out with understanding the brokering stuff and I'll show you in a second why um, we want to work on this idea of the broad talent base particularly in a global context I mean the, one of the things that concerns me is that um, when I go around looking at corporate Britain, the men, and they are mainly men, I'm afraid, uh, are all aging. And actually, the generation that's coming up to take their place might not be educated in the UK or might not have had a relationship with the UK. Uh, and we know that there's a headquarters effect that people are much less inclined to shut things down if the HQ is in, in the UK. So I can't worry, in the global context, are we developing what we're calling global graduates? Um, and we've got a big uh, project developing on that. And it's not just a global graduates, obviously, but that's one of the things. And then translating inventiveness into innovation. Now, now, I know that those of you who are innovation specialists in the room won't like the linear nature of that. I'm not saying where the innovation is or where the inventiveness is. It could sit on both sides of the university business relationship. But collaboration is at the heart of translating inventiveness into innovation. <coughs> I tend to think that uh, if I was in a university, I think that my inventiveness is what I'm there for my fresh thinking, my new approaches. And if I'm in a company, I think the way I'm going to grow is to innovate in product services and so on. But it's not linear, it's non-linear. Turning that into a nice chart <coughs> where, where you guys could really help us out. I said not help us out, it's not let us actually ha help out the, the, uh, um, the collaboration. We take both of these. What they need to, what we're breaking them down into these four buckets. Now, on the analysis uh, front, um, Pep have asked us to do an annual state of the relationship report for them. Um, uh, but actually, the analysis we, we want to pour into that should come from everywhere. If you guys have got stuff to help us think through this, these buckets, um, uh, there's two ways you can help. One is to translate it into something that a business person might be able to read and put it on the new website. And the second thing is to say to us, don't go and do this because we've already done it, mm. um, which would be jolly helpful, you know, because you know, reinventing the wheel is a very bad idea, as you all know. Um, I brought my kind of media background to bear, so we've got a whole bunch of rich media, video-rich, uh, uh, best practice case studies on the, coming onto the site already, uh, what we're calling success stories. So I think you know, we, we know on Web 2.0, Web 2.5, that, that a lot of video is a very powerful tool. The brokerage front, um, I'll come on to now and just talk about it, because, uh, you know, I used to be chairman of a dating company, right? So when I came out of this problem I, 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 on both sides of the internships and, and IP, I, I thought, who would know about this? Um, and I phoned up eHarmony and said, could you help me think about this? So we've got the chief psychologist of eHarmony.com and the, chief the former chief technology officer of eHarmony helping us think about what we mean by all this. Um, and it, it's in two broad buckets. One is, is, um, is it's not really internships, it's, it's work experience. Um, I think internships is too narrow a concept for what, what we're trying to understand here, which is that we'll build into existence a mass higher education system, half a million a year joining it, but we haven't built into existence a, a UK-wide platform for people to get work quality work experience. So we're trying to figure out how you do a, a UK-wide platform. And in, in fact, was, we're commissioning five projects on it. One of them is already coming to fruition I think I think one of them I think we can already see how we can do it using the here 
Um, and, and the reason why it's eHarmony and not Craigslist, in effect, is, is that eHarmony is about psychological matching. Now, if you're, if you're a, an 18, 19, 20, 21 year old, I know they're, they're not the only ones at university, um, and you're going into a company, if there's some form of matching that goes on with the comp- what the company's like or what you're like, we think that's a more powerful way of doing it. So we're going to take all the best practice stuff that we've learned from <coughs> the, the research that's already out there and try and match it with people who've got experience in, in, uh, in things like dating. Uh, so again, if any of you have got good research on, on, on what work experience does or on psychological profiling on end, I'd love to have a look at it. On the IP front, um, I, we're exploring this concept of what I call dark IP. So easy access IP is where, you know, you all know the rules, right? 5% is what university protects, 95% is made available. There's a bit of fuss around 6, 7, 8, 9% range. But it's not made available in ways that if you're a small company that you can easily understand and work with. You know, it sits in, in complicated places. It's not on a national platform. Um, and so dark IP is, is all that stuff that, that researchers have worked on that might be useful in companies, but they don't know how to get access to it. Um, so again, we're looking at, at how many companies that might be. And, you know, some some people say 40,000, some people say 100,000. I don't know. Uh, and, that, and also how we get access to, to the work that's already in, inside the university. And finally, I'm so sorry, my voice is disappearing. Finally, we're going on to action uh, plans like Talent 2030, like the Fuse. We'll be doing more of those as we go forward. And then, obviously, these are the um, these are the various audiences. Uh, the website uh, is up and running. Um, it's got as you, we're going for a very clean uh, interface. We've got blogs. Um, uh, if anyone wants to write for us, please feel free. Uh, currently, we've got the main today's is, is the Vice Chancellor of Cambridge. Yesterday was the Global Assessor at PP. Uh, we've had Julia King. I mean, you know, that's um, been quite a powerful bunch of people that started writing for us. My ultimate ambition for this is it'll become the brokerage platform, mm-hmm. um, and we'll, we'll actually attract a lot of parents and students onto it as well. So we're, we're trying to keep it as journalistically rich as we can. A lot of video will be played out through through our video player. This is an, this is an animation. Which feel free to rip off. It's a three-minute animation on how to get the best out of university collaboration. Let me see if that uh, if that's live. I was told faithfully that it was embedded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. If you try this cookie on the website... Yeah. Will that be like the web link? Web, the web link. Sorry, the web link. If you just go on the... On the
and it's important we get compatibility between the businesses and the universities. But ultimately what we want is more of it. So the idea of the NCUB might be to provide that route map, to provide case studies, to, to make connections. I think it's the first time we'll really put industry and commercial collaboration with higher education together in one place. University Business Collaboration is absolutely essential to the future economic prosperity of this country. We live in a highly competitive global economy. And what are the natural resources of this country? Well, the natural resources are the inventiveness, the innovation, the creativity, intellectual strength of its population. Every country in the world is recognizing that now. Countries are investing in higher education to strengthen their intellectual capabilities. And in knowledge-based economies, universities are at the very heart of that success. In the last 10 years, especially since Sir Richard Lambert's review, there's been an enormous growth in the collaboration between universities and business. And my review attempted to summarize some of the successes from that growth. But there are some areas that still need to be accelerated. Many government agencies at the moment look at particular domains of activity. We look at research exploitation, for example. There's some excellent knowledge, some really strong, strong agencies working in that field. But that's an important, but nevertheless not a comprehensive view of the landscape. We need to have a body that not only records the collaboration, not only as a repository for good practice, but actually acts as a brokerage, acts as an, a, an entity which looks at gaps in this activity, looks where universities and businesses can work in new areas together. I would see the new centre, firstly, mapping the relationships that are out there at the moment, so we have a good understanding of what currently exists, and then identifying where the gaps are. I think then probably... Uh, looking at some key sectors where we see some sector skills that are absent that we want to develop as an economy and as a nation. Then I think there is a very important piece about research and basically turning inventiveness into innovation. And I think there is also a piece around making the connection more sustainable so that universities are a place that actually businesses use for retraining and upskilling, which I think is, is, is something that's missing at the moment. Effective supply chains require both parties to continuously relate to each other, continuously communicate, ensure that they're working in harmony for optimum supply. There's no better way to ensure collaboration than to put these organisations together in a consistent, coherent and sustained way. And that's what the National Centre is all about. To do it better, I think we each have to have an understanding of what each partner can offer. So the universities obviously have the kind of intellectual capacity, they have the inventiveness, and of course they're producing graduates. But we can learn as much, I think, from businesses as they can from us uh, in terms of the way we run our universities more efficiently and more effectively in a business-like way. I think I want the new centre to be the hub. It's not going to try and replace uh, activities that others are doing well, but it's going to be the first port call for universities and business who want to know how to improve and make these relationships more dynamic. I think we, we all want the new centre to um, ensure that we maximise the contribution that our extraordinary universities can make with our extraordinary businesses um, in terms of economic growth um, and the well-being of the country.
if we do it properly, we will be world leaders in university business collaboration. So that kind of sums up the flavour of what we're trying to do here. I don't see this as a sense that pushes stuff out. I see this as a sense that brings stuff in. Um, and then in, in those towns, it's B to B to C. You know, that's why I'm saying to you that, that ultimately the site was going to be more like a half post than, uh, than, than uh, a classic centre, where we'll set up a, a content management system that will make it easy for anybody who wants to write the, 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 um, uh, the, the site um, to do so. Because uh, I think that we, we do need more and more voices, uh, more and more collaborative voices uh, uh, to do it. The site's very beautiful, by the way. I just decided to launch it and get it out of there. Just, I mean, I'd rather take my lumps in public in, um, than just try and get perfection in private. So, again, if you have a look at it and think, do you know what? Um, Actually, we've got time to run the animation. It would be great to, because it's such a brilliant... We've done that. It's so brilliant. One of the things I did was to say, well, there must be other ways of doing this rather than classic, you know, talk, chalk stuff. Um, and I commissioned uh, a young uh, animator to do a piece of work based on a, a study that we'd done for the Technology Strategy Board um, around uh, the Knowledge Transfer Partnerships. Uh, and... Rather brilliantly, off the back of that, she's got a job at Arden. So it feels like I should, get, <laughs> I should set myself with a talent scout. It's on the website. Yeah, okay. So if you can yes. scroll, scroll down. achieve successful collaboration by following these five C's. Company opportunity, co-recognition, co-formulation, co-creation, and commercialization. Let us show you how it works. It all starts with you, or more precisely, a B. Our business is looking to grow her company. So when she comes across a product demand with no solution, she identifies it as a company opportunity. But to develop this idea further, she needs access to the relevant technology and knowledge. This is where universities come in. The university representative can present the problem to the appropriate department to develop the idea further. Co-recognition is reached once your company and the university identify the project as mutually beneficial. Now the partnership is established, the team can begin co-formulating their approach to the project. This takes us into the ideas lab. 
Here, the members of the team work together to bring the project to fruition. This process requires each of the participants' various expertise and knowledge to combine in order for co-creation to be possible. The final stage of the process is commercializing the finished product, spreading the word, getting it noticed, and making potential customers aware of its existence. At NCUB, we believe these five C's can help make your company more innovative, profitable, and all-round successful. For further information, visit ncub.co.uk forward slash see for yourself, or leave a message on our site. Thank you. So, something very different. Um, and we'll be doing more of that kind of stuff. I might always, not all the animation, but we certainly um, not um, lots of words on the page. So what are we up to in the first uh, year? So the first year, um, we've been, uh, obviously, it's a different world for me because I've been just used to doing, working with my council, but now that we're funded by, by the major, some of the major players, we also have to negotiate with them what we need to be doing. Uh, Hefke and the funding cards are very, very focused still on, on uh, the strategically important and vulnerable subjects area, particularly around uh, STEM, although uh, I've kind of pushed back a bit and said you've got to really equally focus on uh, things like design and software engineering, which are really under a lot of threat in, in the system. And as you know, computing, I think computing scientists and physicists are the most unemployed groups of graduates still. You know. So we need to figure out why there's a mismatch between um, the supply and the demand. Uh, I still can't try to figure out what employability means. I mean, it's got as many definitions in, as the word brand um, uh, amongst marketeers. So those of you who have ever sat in a room and tried to uh, get a marketeer to explain a brand with another marketeer telling you that's complete nonsense, you know what the problem is. So I think we need to figure that out. And uh, again, this, you guys are specialists in all this, and it'd be great to get some, some really good technical work done and, and understand what it means. Uh, we're very focused on this quality work experience, quality placement stuff. Uh, to such an extent that I'm going to really push to see the kite market and get as much support behind the kite market version of it as possible. You know, people have to be paid, it has to be feedback into their careers experience, you know, all the stuff that research is telling us about. Um, and I do genuinely think that I can, because I just, I saw the prototype the other day, I do think we can get a national platform here that, that most universities will subscribe to and that um, that employers would, work, would, would subscribe to as well. Um, brokering and networking, well, we carry on doing what we've always done, which is the high-level ministerial meetings and so on, but using uh, as much social networking tools and technologies as we can lay our fingers on. We've launched the website. Um, I'm trying to get away from this term, SME. Um, I don't find it helpful. I don't think it's good for policymakers to, to constantly talk about it. If, if one of the problems we've got is small company, now, the uh, difference is uh, came out yesterday when I was talking to the, the the lawyers looking at the post Lambert contracts and they were talking saying SMEs don't have the resource to do contracts. I said, hang on a sec, I ran a company with 250 people in it and I turned over 100 million quid. I had tons of resource to do contracts. I've chaired companies with two people in them and no money. They don't have the resource to do contracts. So don't, I mean, the M side of all this isn't where the problem sits. 
It's the S side. And, and it, so we're going to be pushing hard at working with, with uh, S companies um, rather than, than M companies uh, in a lot of this stuff just to try and understand it. The other thing that people don't focus enough on, and I don't think, is the supply and the value chains into big companies. In my, in my BBC days, every independent producer wanted to work for us. If you wanted to talk to the independent producers, the BBC had to be in the room or in the mix. BP is the same. Uh, all those big companies have massive supply and value chains that, that, don't, that don't get enough research done. So if I, again, if anybody wants to do a research on supply and value chains in the big companies, I'd love that. Uh, and then we're doing this uh, state relationships report. Um, quite an important thing is myth busting. You know, that, um, you know there's always that throat clearing in the CBI report where it says that you know, graduates can't read, can't spell, can't write. You know, I think we need to get away from all that stuff and actually point out that, that these uh, people coming out at 22, 23, or 24 are actually contributing very quickly to the economy and they're contributing very quickly to businesses. Um, and also the universities do play a major economic role. I mean, you go, I've visited, the reason I've got so much weight in the past few years, I've visited about 45 universities. And you go to someone like Littlesbrough, um, and you, without the university there, it's a desert. I mean, the university is absolutely central to the economy in a lot of these northern towns. And we've got to get, keep pushing away and get, get that across. This is not self-serving by the universities. It's just the massive economic players. And, and, uh, and I think businesses support that. So, so again, it's stuff we're trying to work on. And then the video case that we just saw. So that's me. My voice is now dead. Uh, thank you for listening. But most importantly, that's the bit we mean. We really need your help. Um, we can't do this alone. It's not meant to be a, a, a thing that pushes stuff out. It's meant, meant to be a thing that brings stuff in. So whatever you've got, it's, as long as it's readable by a company, that's the, the one thing I'd say. It's not for academics. Um, then we'll be delighted to have it. And if anyone just give me personal advice on stuff that I should be reading or looking at, then I'd be thrilled as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs>